in song. Truly, it is, actually. Well, I don't know. I really don't know. I'm afraid that some of you here have got a real good, what you call, public testimony. But that song makes you nervous. If that song makes you nervous, you need to get right with God. You really need to know that you know that you know that you know that you're born again. That your sins are forgiven. That, you're, that the blood of Christ has cleansed you from all, all unrighteousness. You need to know this. You need to know this. I'm telling you, if you were to die right now and you are not ready to meet God, the fact that you died in a church would do you no good at all. You must, you must be born again. Jesus emphasizes this over and over and over again. It isn't religious effort. It is what Christ did on the cross to pay for your sins. Do you have that? Not do you agree with it. There's a difference between agreeing with it and having repented and received it. No more efforts. No more adding to it. No more you doing your part. It's all about what Jesus did. Now, if you have it, it'll change your life. I'll tell you, honestly, I almost came right up out of my uh, little chair thing here. The little bench, I guess you call it. Multiple times. I'm just going to be the only one I was afraid. I'm going to look kind of like a little lunatic, you know. Nobody wants to be the, nobody wants the pastor to, to be the only one standing up and shouting. Amen. Unless, I guess, you go to the church in Moyoc. And it's okay if that pastor stands up and shouts. Well, Jeremy Bird, he's a, he's a shouter, praise God, amen? Well, I tell you, that's a wonderful truth. I do know. I know, what, I, knew what it, I know what it felt like to want what I didn't have. And I know what it feels like to have what I need, praise God. And I hope you know what it, I really do, I hope you know what that feels like. I'm going to ask you to open your Bible with me to 2 Peter Got these, uh, pap- I got these pages. They make my Bible large enough so I can read it. Open to 2 Peter chapter 1. John read it. I asked John to read chapter, uh, uh, verses 1 through 15 and to read it slowly and with emphasis. I know, I, I know I'm beginning to say this an awful lot, and I hope I don't, uh, uh, whatever the word it is, uh, cause you to be bored by this. And if it does, then I'd be worried about your soul. The Word of God is important all by itself. I'm finding more and more and more and more that I consider preaching and teaching of the Word of God to only be necessary so that we can see together what the Word of God actually says, period. In other words, the whole point of pastors and teachers is to cause you to want to find yourself in the Word of God for yourself. So this time that we're spending together this morning, if this is your time in the Word of God this week, you've got a terrible relationship with God. If your time in the Word of God is because I open the Word of God and preach from it, if you think that's enough, I'm not sure that you're a new creature. I mean, honestly, can you imagine, can you imagine if the only time the children were fed is when they came into the nursery on Sunday morning and we fed them here, you would, something would be seriously wrong if your children didn't want to eat on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, and you would quickly go take them to the doctor's. How many of you would recognize, how many of you recognize if your children didn't eat tomorrow morning by one o'clock in the afternoon, you'd be wanting to find out what was wrong with them, amen? Well, that's the same thing. If you're really a new creature, then this matters to you. 
It's not a religious service. It's not a, well, I know I should spend time in my Bible, so I have made a checklist, you know, or I just downloaded a checklist, and I'm spending the appropriate amount of time in the Word of God. I tell you what, you tell a teenage boy that they need to spend the appropriate amount of time eating dinner. Amen? They just eat until you tell them they can't eat anymore, right? No, you have to stop. Why? Because we've run out of food in the house. That's why. Amen? You can tell a teenage boy is healthy because they eat and they eat and they eat, and they don't gain a pound, by the way. Amen? I remember that, and it's not me anymore. I was going to say, praise God. It's not really true. I'd like to be that way still. <clears throat> Here we are in Second Peter. In Second Peter, the, 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 the point to Second Peter is that God has promised us that we will grow in grace. God has promised us. We have the promise of God that we will personally grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That he will protect us from all the false teaching around us. If we'll simply trust him, he who is the author and finisher of our faith will guard us and grow us. Amen? So we can beware... Beware that there's nonsense out there. It does matter where you eat. It does matter where you eat. Even that teenage boy that would eat anything won't go over to the trash can and open that up and start eating out of it. Your dog might, but your son won't. You see what I'm saying? God wants us to be careful where we are fed. And how can you be careful about where you're fed? And the answer is this. Open the Word of God. And go to a church where the Word is where the the preaching comes from. And where Christ is the point. The preaching and teaching is about anything else. If it's about the Holy Spirit, it's about this Bible or that version of the Bible. If it's about you doing this or you doing that, that's not what you need. What you need is preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The emphasis must be on Christ. Why? Because Christ is all. Period. He is the author. He is the finisher. He is everything. Let's look at it for just a moment. Simon Peter. This is back in chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. To them had obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. One verse, already he's been mentioned twice. Do you see how significant Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ, is? If your relationship with your Bible is not about Jesus Christ, then your relationship with your Bible is misplaced. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us unto glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So through, lust has brought corruption into this world. Do you see this? Lust. Now we learned in James, and in James we learned this, that the great high priest of Hebrews, who's pouring out a whole new quality of life, is pouring it out in our everyday life. In James we learned this, that your lust ruins your life. Do you understand? My lust doesn't ruin your life. My lust ruins my life. 
Each one of us is drawn away when we're enticed by our own lusts. Now, how can we escape that lust? How can we be rescued, not from the lust that's all around us, how can we be rescued? And by the way, here's the difficulty with the word lust. We use the word lust in America today almost primarily to deal with sexual sin. And while that's true, that's not what it means. What it means is strong affection. That's all it means. Anything you feel strong, it can be, I don't know, basket weaving. I have a strong affection for basket weaving. Got to have some basket weaving. Got to have more basket weaving in my life. Got to go to, well, I don't know where to go. Joanna's? Joanna's? Is that right? I don't know. Wherever the basket weaving stuff is bought. Amen? That's not my lust, obviously, okay? My lust would probably be at the Apple store. I got to go to the Apple store and get the latest and greatest technology. Do you understand? Whatever your lust is, is driving your life. But how can we escape this? This is what it says that we can escape this that's in the world. It says, whereby, verse 4 says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. The promises rescue us. Why? Why do the promises rescue us? And the answer is because of the one that gave us the promises. Do you understand? The promises are only, listen, the promises are only powerful because of the one who gives the promise. Do you understand? I make promises. Do you make promises? I make promises. I make well-intentioned promises. And I'm pretty good at keeping my promises. But I'm not perfect at it. Do you want to know why? Now, by the way, let me say this about the word perfect. We probably need to start, in your life, start saying this. Instead of the word perfect... And meaning, when you say the word perfect, if you mean flawless, flawless, in other words, without error or without failure, if you mean that, don't say perfect anymore. Don't say perfect. Because the word perfect doesn't mean flawless. It means to be mature. It means to reach the goal. That's what it means. And so it, it is, we can be perfected through the word of God. And all that means is this. I no longer want to act like a pouty little child anymore. I have a strong desire for the things that God wants to do in my life. Therefore, I am being matured by God. And that is what the word in our Bible means when it says perfect. Flawless is a different word. You and I are not ever going to be flawless. By the way, let me just give you a little hint. You're not flawless now. Some of you, that was a revelation. right? Some of you disagree with me strongly. And you just proved my point right there. Amen? You are not flawless. I am not flawless. We are not flawless. Jesus is flawless. And he's the only one that was. That's why his blood matters. That's why his blood can save us from our sins. Because he never once sinned in thought or in deed. Not at all, praise God. He is perfectly flawless. So when he said it is finished, praise God, it is finished. Right? It is paid in full. The work is done because he did it, and I trust him. One of the things that, listen, if you're wrestling with your salvation, let me ask you this. Are you trusting in what Christ has done, or are, are you trusting in your ability to appropriate what Christ has done? If you're trusting in your ability to appropriate what Christ has done, that's a bad place to trust. What you need to trust is what Christ has done. God the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. The, listen, what I mean by this is this. God says, you can trust my son. He didn't say, you can trust your trust in my son. 
Two different things completely. You'll never, if, you're, if you have to be the one that does enough trusting to be saved, you'll never be saved. You have to simply trust the one that did enough to save you. Amen? That's a big difference, by the way. So many people wrestling with whether they're really born again or not because they're looking at themselves instead of looking at Jesus. Look away. Look away from you and look at Christ. Has Christ done enough? Yes or no? And the answer is, praise God, he has. Now repent. Repent of your good works. Repent of your nonsense. Repent of your stuff. Just throw it all down on the ground. Say, I'm trusting in the blood. Just trusting in the blood. Because the Father has already put his seal of approval on that blood. Amen? All you're doing now is agreeing with what the Father said. The Father said, this blood is more than enough. And you say, okay, I'll take that then. Amen? I will not take my good works anymore. I'll take the blood. Thank you. According to his divine power, he's given us these promises. According to his divine power, he has given us all things that pertain unto life. He says this. God says in his word, I will change everything in your life if you'll simply trust my son. Period. Now, we don't have time. We read chapter 1 two weeks ago. We read chapter 2 last week. And because this is really, in my notes, this is what it says. Second Peter study, first read through. This is a most preliminary of preliminary looks at Second Peter. First read through. This is the first time that I've done this. This is the first time I've realized that instead of studying the uh, epistles one at a time, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, which we will go back and go do, let's just read it together. So what, now again, I said this is easy because there's only three chapters. So here we are in chapter 3, verse 1. This is what it says. But I needed you to see the promises in chapter 1. I need them to be in your mind. Again, I'm going I'm to do something here that I think is really important. In my car, it takes me 20 minutes to drive from my house to the church, right? That's if there's no traffic. 20 minutes to drive from my house uh, to the church if there's no traffic. 15 to 20 minutes, depending upon the lights. I can listen to all of 2 Peter and then some in that period of time. What that means is this. 2 Peter can be read at a normal pace in less than 20 minutes. You should read 2 Peter. One of the mistakes that Christians make is we only study the parts where we're in our study. Even teachers, preachers and teachers, make the mistake of dividing their Bible up into little small pieces and not realizing that 2 Peter was written as a book or an epistle. It was really almost written as a note. It's a very small note. It's very, very little in it. You need to read it that way. And what you'll find is this. Wow, 2 Peter chapter 3, the very end of it, is very much what 2 Peter chapter 1, the very beginning of it is. Yes, because it has a point. And this is the point. God promises, God promises that you will grow. God promises that you will grow. This is what he says, add unto this, this, add unto this, this, add unto this, this. But he promises that that can happen in your life. And then he says this, if you let me grow you, then you will be fruitful in the life that I want you to have. You will make a big difference in the people around you. And you'll be really, really confident in your future. Because your future will be tied up in what I'm doing in your life instead of what you're doing for me in your life. Let's read this. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Boy, I love this truth. Here's what he's saying. 
This second epistle is simply to remind you of the joy unspeakable and full of glory in the first epistle. In other words, there is nothing new by this point in in Peter's preaching and teaching. Nothing new. There doesn't have to be something new. If you're wanting to go to church every Sunday so that you can be cleverly entertained, then you're going to church for the wrong reason. And you're coming to the wrong church. Because what you need is what the Word of God says this week, and then this week, and then this week, and then this week. And the Word of God says the same thing over and over and over and over again. This is what it says. God loves you, but you've messed everything up. But God still loves you and will rescue you if you'll repent and trust in Christ. That's what it says. From cover to cover, that's what it says. God has given these wonderful promises. I want to stir up your remembrance that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of the apostles of the, of, of the Lord and Savior. So here's what it says. I want to remind you and I want you to be mindful of the word of God in the Old Testament and the word of God in the New Testament. Amen? Is that simple or what? Yes or no? Now, this is on the heels of the fact that there are going to be many false teachers. There are going to be many people who will lie to you, who will make merchandise of you, who will say whatever they can get you to listen to so that you'll keep coming, so that you'll keep giving them money. That's what it said. So if you want to be rescued from that, then just trust the Word of God in the Old Testament and the Word of God in the New Testament. Amen? Tell me that doesn't sound simple. And here's the truth. It is simple. And God fully intends that it would be simple. So here's what he said. The holy prophets and the apostles. Be mindful of the words, right? The word of God itself. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. Remember, the lust that we saw in chapter 1 is still here in chapter 3. And because there are preachers who have lusts, they will preach a message that isn't the word of God. And here's what they'll be saying. Where is the promise of his coming? Remember, we have promises of God. And what they're going to say is this. Well, well, if God's all about promises, then where's the promise of his coming? Because that's one of his promises, right? Shouldn't he be coming back? It's been 2,000 years now. Shouldn't he be coming back? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Wow, they're going back a long way. For this, they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens of old excuse me that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished talking about the flood but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of godly men But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come unto repentance. So here's what, let me say this. This is such a wonderful truth. Where is the promise of his coming? And this is the answer. He's still saving souls. 
Where is the promise of his coming? Why hasn't he come back yet? And the answer is because there are people breathing right now who are still going to trust Christ for their salvation. Isn't that wonderful? You woke up this morning. How do you know when you woke up this morning that somewhere someone is still going to get saved? And the answer is because you woke up this morning. Because we're still here. When, when that time is over, this will be over. When it's time to put it away, it's time to put it away. And it's not time to put it away right now. Amen? So that one that you're praying for that needs to be saved, keep praying for that one that needs to be saved. Keep testifying to that one that needs to be saved. And understand this, God's whole point in quote-unquote dragging his feet is so that people can be saved. Because he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come unto repentance. And if they're going to be saved, they're going to have to repent. Say amen. That's important. If they're going to be saved, they're going to have to repent. If you're saved, you did repent, right? And again, repentance means this. I was wrong about how I thought about this. This is how I thought about God, and I was wrong. This is what God is really like. And how do I know what God is really like? Because I can see it in his word. And I'm now trusting God, not according to my mind, not according to my opinion, not even according to your opinion, just according to what he says in his own word. But the day of the Lord will come, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So here's what he says. There is a big bang coming. I'm, I believe in a big bang. They just got it at the wrong end. Okay? There is a big bang coming. L- listen, everybody understands what happens when you take atoms and you break them apart. Yes? Everybody understands what happens if you take atoms and break them apart. What happens? It's called a nuclear bomb, right? If you take the atoms and you release the energy that's in the atoms, what happens? It's a, 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 a bomb like we have never been able to make until recently, yes? All that's going to happen when it's time is Jesus is just going to let go, right? Jesus hold, the Bible is very clear about this. Jesus holds everything together. And when it's time, he's just going to let go. And when he lets go, all, listen, matter. It's not spiritual things. This is all matter. Just going to blow up. Is that what it says? Let's look at it again. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. Sounds like an explosion. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Yes? By the way, let me ask you this. I remember Frank Sell saying this many, many years ago. When it's, time to, when it's time to put this away and God throws the earth over his shoulder, how foolish it will look for Christians to be clinging on to it at his shoulder. How tragic it would be that we would care more about the things on this earth than the God that made us. Seeing then that all of these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hastening. Now, by the way, here's the thing. I love this passage. It doesn't just say looking for. I am looking for Jesus to come. Amen? Yes? No? That's a very, very, very quiet amen. How many of you, listen, I'm telling you, I can't believe how many people I know that are born again who want to do things before Jesus comes. You're an idiot. I'm just telling you. When Jesus comes, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be perfect. Yeah, but I haven't had a chance to go to this theme park yet. Amen? 
Yeah, boy, that theme park, you're sure missing out. You're going to have to be with Jesus instead of Mickey Mouse. Man, that's tragic. Amen. And I'm not picking on Disney. Disney's a wonderful place. It, you know, you've got plenty of money. It's a really wonderful place. Amen. There are plenty of things on this earth that aren't terrible things, but they are nothing to be compared with Christ coming. And we need to realize this. We need to stop putting our time and effort into things that are on this earth that are just going to burn up in a little while. Amen. Well, I tell you, I can, I can start going, I can start meddling here. I really could. I start picking out some things that'll make some people mad quick. We start talking about, again, we start talking about basket weaving again. Amen? Go right back to that basket. I picked basket weaving because there's a really good chance I didn't offend anybody when I picked basket weaving. <laughs> if I, if, by the way, if my, if my picking basket weaving offended you, please come talk to me after the service because I want to understand what's wrong with you, that you would find basket weaving <laughs> that fascinating. Amen? There are things that we have that are idols in our lives. I don't think basket weaving is one of them. But we have many things that we really want to pursue. Why are you pursuing those things? Notice what it says. Verse 12 says we are looking for, and then it says this, and hastening. Now, what does that mean? And hastening. And that means this, I can't wait. That's what it means. I'm not just looking forward to Jesus coming. I can't wait for Jesus to come. That's what this is saying. So what man of conversation, what should our life be like while we look for the hastening of the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, praise God, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth his righteousness. Amen? Yeah, I'm telling you. And here's the good news. Your sin is not going. You understand that? My sin is not going to this new heaven and a new earth. Amen? It's not even your sin that bothers me. It's my sin that bothers me. Your sin annoys me. Okay? My sin deeply bothers me. Do you understand? And that sin's not going, praise God. All that is evil is going to be destroyed, and praise God for that. And if you're a new creature, then you've got to praise God for that. We are The inward man delights in the law of God. When you were born again, everything changed about what you want. Everything changed about what you desire. And you can't even understand it. You are so caught up in how great he is and how good you want to be that it bothers you when you're not the way you're supposed to be. I have no idea what that even could have been. That was, hey, praise God, amen. Oh, was it really? <laughs> James, you want to play that back? No, I'm just kidding. Amen. That's right. You're right. Thank you, sister. It does bother us. Now that you're a new creature, if you're really a new creature, nothing bothers you more than hurting somebody else. Period. You don't want your way anymore. You want Jesus' way instead. You don't just want it for your life. You want it for their life. Here's the problem with being a baby Christian. You want for them such wonderful things. You don't know how to tell them. And so we have a tendency to kind of run over them. Don't run over them. Just keep pointing them to Jesus. Keep telling them about what he's done in your life. And if he hasn't done anything in your life, you have nothing to talk about. But if he has done something in your life, just tell him what he's done. And point him to the word. Let the word of God, which is quick and powerful, do its work. Amen? Because here's the good news. Your words may do nothing, but God's word will never return unto him void. It will never miss what it needs to do. So let the word of God be in your heart and mind so that when you're speaking to others, it's the word of God that we talk about. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. 
Wherefore, beloved? Boy, this is true, right? If we're really beloved, if we're really the new creatures, if we're really the children of God, wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. I want you to notice that in peace. Do you have peace? Do you have that peace that passes understanding? I tell you, I know a lot of Christians that lack the peace that God wants them to have. They are tossed about by so many things. Stop being tossed about by so many things. Trust God at his word. If you, listen, here's the, reason why you, here's the reason why you're tossed about. You care too much about yourself. See, you have things that you want, and you want things to be according to what you want. And because they're not that way, it destroys your peace. But if you just want what God wants, you'll have all the peace you'll ever need. Because it won't matter what's going on. Because I have what God wants for me, and I rejoice in what God wants for me. Without, without, in peace, without spot and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. This goes back to the fact that God is not dragging his feet. If God wants you to consider. God wants you to write it down in a ledger. Why are we going through these great extended difficulty? And the answer is this. The long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Now here's the wonderful thing. What Peter is getting ready to say is this. It goes back to what we were looking at earlier, where the holy prophets and the apostles give us the word of God. So what he's saying is this. We need to trust the word of God. Old Testament and New Testament, we simply need to trust the word of God. And we need to know, as it is written in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, that what God is doing in our lives is not against us, but for us. But listen, I'm telling you, the difficulties in your life are not even primarily about you. They're about others. And how others see your response to those difficulties. Because if you're really a new creature, you have a completely different response than you used to, than they do. And they need to be able to see that. And it says this, and account, right? Put this in your ledger, right? Just like you would balance your checkbook. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of the things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also with other scriptures unto their own destruction. There are those, listen, I'm telling you, there are those, listen to me, this is, the book of Proverbs says it this way, our heart frets against what God wants to do. And then it blames God for the difficulties in our lives. Here's what the word of God is saying in Proverbs. Our hearts want things so strongly that we will ruin our lives, our own lives grasping for those things. And then we'll blame God when it happens. But it's not God's fault that it happened. It's your fault that it happened. In other words, if you could just let go of your desires and just say, Lord, I'm only going to be here for a little while. You're coming to take us all away in just a little while. Whatever time I'm here, please use this vessel unto honor. Right? Yes? In a great house, there are many vessels. How many? It's funny. It's just a little story. My wife and daughter are gone, and I miss my wife terribly. I really, I really miss, miss my wife. Um, 
I didn't realize how much I was going to, we've never been apart this long when it was her that was traveling. When I'm traveling, I'm so busy when I'm traveling that I don't have the time that I have right now to miss her. I miss her terribly. But here's what I have found is this. Our house really only, right now, right now, my house only needs one fork, one knife, and one spoon, right? That's all it needs. And I, and one plate and one glass. And I, and I use them. And when I'm done, I clean them. And I put them over here. You got that towel thing. I put them over here on that little towel thing. And then when it's time to eat, I get those same things and I use them again. And then when I'm done eating, I wash them and I put them in that little towel thing. And I was thinking, what are all the cupboards full of all these things for? We got three people in our house. We need three forks, three knives, three spoons, three plates. I mean, it seems like that's all we need. Amen? Right? And, and a couple phone numbers. Amen? Because we got to be able to call and get some food into the house. Amen? So, so here's, here's what I realize is this. These, these things that God is doing in our lives, we can trust him at his word instead of wanting, lusting, that's what it says, right? Instead of wanting these things so strongly that we destroy our own lives. By the way, listen, listen. I don't believe it's just unsaved people that are destroying their own lives. I believe that there are many born-again people who are still going to heaven. Was Lot a born-again person, right? We just saw him in the last chapter, yes? Lot was saved, yes? I mean, according, according to the, this book, chapter 2, Lot was saved. Man, I wouldn't want to preach his funeral, though. Right? He had a terrible testimony. Horrible testimony. Couldn't rescue anybody in his home city. Shouldn't even been living in that city. Couldn't rescue anybody in it. Couldn't get his wife out. Got his daughters pregnant. Got, he got his daughters pregnant. It's a disaster. It's a disaster. And there are some people who are born again who because of their own lusts won't let God do what God wants to do. And because of that, they're not getting anybody out of the city. Do you understand? Listen, please, please, don't be a miserable lot Christian. Don't. Be a Christian that's full of joy unspeakable and full of glory. Well, How does that happen? And the answer is trust God in his promises. Let him make the difference in your life. Let him make the difference in your life. People will see the difference. I'm telling you, people will see the difference and they'll say, What's happened? And your answer will be this, Jesus has happened, period. By the way, you'll have no other answer. Jesus, that's what's happened, Jesus. And they're going to say, oh, that sounds religious. Yeah, I know, it did to me too before, but it's not religious. I'm telling you, Jesus is awesome. They'll say, yeah, that's, but Jesus is just a religious figure. No, no, Jesus isn't a religious figure. Buddha is a religious figure. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus made the world. Jesus is everything, amen? And they say, oh, you're really strong into your Christianity. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. Jesus is awesome. Period. Period. Jesus is awesome. Do you understand? Here's the difficulty with being a Christian is you're now part of a group of people that are full of hypocrites. But Jesus is not a hypocrite. Do you understand? And the word of God is sure. Amen? And that's all you got to do. Just, you and what's wonderful is this. I don't have to fight. You, see, you saw what he says, what did he say about walking in this time? Walk in peace. Praise God. I don't have to fight with the people. Man, America is full of people that are angry just because of how you voted. Right? I mean angry, angry to the point of punching you in the nose. Right? And that's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Truly ridiculous. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is Jesus is awesome. Not I'm this party. Praise God. You know what party I'm a part of? I'm part of the Jesus party. I want to be informed. I want to vote intelligently, if you understand what I'm saying. I want to vote in such a way as I think will help the nation go forward. But all I care about is who Jesus is. Amen? Because I promise you, it doesn't matter who's in the White House when Jesus comes. 
Praise God. Amen? Yes? Well, you may not understand how important that is. It isn't going to matter who's in the White House when Jesus comes. Everything's going to change, I promise you, right then. Okay, we're done. It says in verse 17, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before. You already know this. Isn't this wonderful? You already know this. But beware, lest ye also be led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. So don't fall. Beware of the things that people would say to you. And trust the word of God instead, right? That's the whole point of this. Beware of what others would teach you and simply trust the word of God instead. So here's the thing. Beware, verse 18, but grow. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Period. Amen? I just want to remind you, he said. I just want to remind you. I just want to remind you of this. Grow in grace. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Unto him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen? Not unto your church, not unto your denomination, not unto your version of the Bible, unto him. Unto him. The word of God is precious. A good church is important. And if you walk with Jesus, you'll have those. Do you understand? If you'll put what matters first, and Christ is what matters. If you'll put Christ first in your life, everything else will fall into place. If you'll try to take care of everything else, you'll never, ever, ever have the peace that God wants you to have. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for just giving us this minute together this morning to read it. Just to read through the chapter, just to see what's there. Now, Lord, as we would go back, uh, starting next week, I think, as we would go back and begin the actual study of Second Peter, may we realize together just what it says. May we trust what you say here and how this fits into what came in First Peter, in James, in Hebrews. Lord, what comes after this in, in uh, First John. Lord, help us to realize the significance of your holy word, that we would trust it, that we would rejoice in it, because it would keep pointing us to the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you do this. Thank you for your word again. We praise you and we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.